Genesis chapter 3. Let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to be reading verses 1 to 13 just before Wayne comes uh, to speak to us this morning. And I'm reading from the NIV, the New International Version, starting at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Oh, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, and you can read the rest of the chapter later. Is that what God said to the serpent? <laughs> Morning, everybody. Good to see you all. We are 10 days into 2021. How's it going for you? Solid? Yep. Oh, anyone's plans been disrupted? Been changed? Things, things are shifting pretty rapidly and it's, we're not quite sure really what's going to happen from one day to the next. Keeps us, on our, keeps us alert, doesn't it? Uh, we're talking about impeccable lie this morning. And uh, it's a phrase that I came across in uh, Eugene Peterson's book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, which is his book about discipleship, and it's based on a whole co series of, of psalms, the Psalms of Ascent, that, uh, uh, and it, he talks about in one of the chapters there, the fact that we're, we are living in a culture with impeccable lies. So what's an impeccable lie? Not, don't give me an example, but if you think about what... What does the word impeccable mean? How many of you are students of the English language? In other words, how many of you do English in school? How many of you did English in school? How many of you should have paid more attention in school? <laughs> I'm one of those. Okay, well, look, 
one of the great things is that there are tools available to learn things about words, aren't there? So the word impeccable, according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, it means free from fault or blame. It means flawless. It comes from a Latin word that got sort of imported into English language somewhere around the 1530s. So it's been in English for quite a bit of time. And it basically means when something is impeccable, uh, it is flawless. So an impeccable lie is a lie that appears to be true because at, at a surface level, it's flawless in what it does. And one of the things that I've learned is that some of the most impeccable lies that people have told me and some of the most impeccable lies that are told that you read in the Bible, they actually contain, the confusing thing is that they actually contain a little kernel or seed of truth, you know, and you often recognize the, the, the kernel of truth or the seed of truth in it and you can be led astray uh, without proper examination of it. It's a bit like... Um, something I'm useless at, fishing. I'm useless at fishing. It's a waste of my time uh, because I never catch the things that I want to catch. So, But for people who go fishing, and I know some people do go fishing, what you do is you have a hook attached to a line and the goal is to disguise the hook so the fish bite on the bait and bang hooked him got him right that's the purpose uh so if you think of it an impeccable lie is one that is disguised and so you don't realize it's a lie you bite on it and bang you're hooked and you're taken away uh or another lures fishermen use lures which are pieces of plastic with hook on it that looks like a fish and you pull it through the water and this is what they tell me. <laughs> and fish catch on it, right? So that's what an impeccable lie is. And one of the things that we have to learn is that we're actually swimming in a culture of lies, right? Um, and actually, we're all liars. We are all liars ourselves. We all say things to protect ourselves. In fact, we've got a grading scale, don't we? We've got, I'm not sure if it, not sh this language will probably change in the future. We used to have white lies and black lies. I'm not sure what will happen now. But, <laughs> but I'm not sure I can actually say that now. But we used to have sort of <laughs> white, white lies were supposedly the little ones, weren't they? Right? Black lives were the big ones, you know. But anyway, but we've got a grading system for lies, and there's grey there's in the middle of it. So uh, this this reality, and Jesus talked about it in the Sermon on the Mount. For those of you familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, he said, "No swearing, not by the temple, not by the altar. No swearing." It wasn't just don't use bad language. It was like just let your yes. Be yes. Will you do this? Yes, I will. And let you know, be no. No, I won't. And part of what's underneath that is the fact that humans lie. 
we, te- we do not tell the truth. Uh, because we're, often we're protecting ourselves. So someone says, hey, you're coming to my party. And you go, yeah, I hope to be there. Which is your way of try- you're trying to protect yourself. You say you're trying to not harm them, but actually self- we're all self-protecting. At the root, pretty much most of it is self-protection. Okay, so we've got we we're, we're swimming in impeccable lies and we call them fake news uh, there was a term a while ago uh, that we talked about you know politicians they would hire what they called spin doctors in other words take something that's really bad that we've stuffed up on and make it a positive message for the community oh we've accidentally lost a truckload of money but the good news is we'll give you a tax break how about that you know, things like that. Anyway, so let's make the message, how do you make it more palatable? Um, you know, so that, that was one of the things that was talked about. We conceal into information as well. That's another way we do it, where we don't actually say something that isn't true. We just withhold the information that will incriminate us. And we're good at it. And we say, we, when people ask us questions, it's like if they don't ask the right question, I'm not giving them, I'm not incriminating myself. So, you know, parents and teenagers play this game all the time. Anyway, we won't spend too much time there. Um, and then now we get things like um, what pops up on th- social media accounts. This claim is disputed, right? Um, and things of that nature. So all those kind of things that are going on. All right. So let's go to the opening words of the Bible. So where will you find the opening words of the Bible? Yep, turn there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Or another way of saying that is before there was the beginning... God, the eternal one, existed. I think this is a fantastic statement. I love this statement. Um, Genesis is such an important book. Uh, It's the book of beginnings. Like if you want to know everything about the beginnings, the book of Genesis has got it. And such an important book for us in the church. Uh, Not something that we we can uh, overlook or trivialize. So this is such an awesome statement that before there was a beginning, there was God, the eternal one. And then God, the eternal one acted and he did things and therefore the heavens and the earth came onto being into, into existence. It's an awesome statement. And so this reality of there is an eternal creator who exists outside of the time and space realm in which we occupy, that God created life, that God gives life, that God gives a good life. And if you think about the uh, magnificent interconnectivity and complexity of all the systems that exist to maintain our lives, if you ever do that, when I do that, it leads to worship. When I think about the complexity and the interconnectivity of the systems that sustain 
life and the systems within my own physical body, it leads me to worship. And yet, within our society, there is one of the most impeccable, a very powerful, impeccable lie that says the universe came into existence without the eternal creator. And over the last 200 years, this lie has been deliberately woven into every area of society. And, and um, you can't watch any nature documentary these days without it, being, without it being retold, you're told. This all happened by chance. This, came in, this complex organism now exists by chance, by random selection. So we did a small building project last year, 2020. I was a little bit involved in that, in the design aspect of it. We're going to put walls here. We're going to put PowerPoints here. We're going to put air conditioning systems here. We're going to run water here. We're going to have toilets here. We're going to join them to the sewer here. All these kind of things. How many of you walk down the street and look at the houses and go, these houses are amazing that they just came into being, that they just formed themselves together. You walk down the central business district of Perth, you look up at the BHP building and go, that's an amazing piece of random selection. How that miraculously came into being, we'll never know. No one does that because we don't, because that would be we would have lost our brains completely on that basis, right? But yet somehow we pseudo-intelligent people will look at the human body and go, this happened by random selection. All the interconnectivity of how your body works. Who's doing human biology in school or done human biology in school? How many different interconnected systems are there within the human body? How many? Too many. many. Yes. And they all work together. And when they break, when one of them so systems breaks down, it affects all the other ones. And so therefore we take ourselves off to people that practice medicine who have invested years of their life in studying how the human body works and how, what can we do to help it? It already has healing properties in it, right? But there are some times where we need to introduce something to help the body heal itself or to bring about a correction. And so we take ourselves in that place. So there's a gentleman lived uh, many years ago called Joseph Goebbels, and he said, if you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. If you tell a lie that's big enough and you keep repeating it often enough, people will eventually come to believe it. Uh, evolution is an impeccable lie that's been repeated over and over and over for almost 200 years and the majority of people now assume it to be true because it's all that comes in the ears and even in some Christians assume it to be true and it's leading to a destruction of our society in, in so many different ways. Uh, that we don't have time to talk about this morning. Now, let me, let me change tack on you. If I have the next slide, please. Here's, my, here's someone I've never met. Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi 
is a very successful or was a very successful football coach in the United States of America and he coached a team called the Green Bay Packers. And uh, if you've ever seen anyone ever seen the Green Bay Packers play American football? Ever seen what the Green Bay Packers supporters wear on their heads? Jeez, they wear... <laughs> it's quite a sight to behold. Anyway, when Vince Lombardi coached the Green Bay Packers, they won five national championships. And in his very first season, his rookie season as head coach, uh, he was named Coach of the Year. He was awarded the Coach of the Year for the whole, whole association. Uh, that's on the back of when, when he was appointed, some people who heard that he'd been appointed, they went, what? Why would you pick him? But at the end of the season, he's, he's Coach of the Year. Um, and in fact, the, the current NFL Championship Trophy is actually called the Vince Lombardi Trophy in honour of him. At the first training session of each new season, he would stand up in front of his players. Remember, these are the best of the best. These are professional athletes that have been picked, selected, drafted. You know the deal. They've gone through the system. So these people know how to play the game. But he would stand up in front of them and he would say, Gentlemen, this is a football. Because what he knew is that even the best of the best need to be reminded again and again of the fundamentals. And that was how we would begin. He'd walk through them, these fundamentals. I want to take a bit of time this morning to just say, here's a fundamental for us. This is a Bible. It does you no good sitting on your shelf. It's a Bible. It's to be read, it's to be sung, it's to be written, it's to be listened to, it's to be meditated on. It's a glorious, magnificent book. It is full of life. It tells us who God is. It tells us who we are. It tells us what God has done in the past, what he's doing in the present, what he's going to do in the future. It's the book of life. It's the one that gives us direction. There's a whole period in my life where I was asking lots of questions about what to do. And I would, and I would have, uh, I would go and find out what the Bible said about things. For example, I'm not saying I did this, but I'm just saying, just say, for example, you're thinking, I think I'll steal something today. I'm at the shops. I think I'll steal something. Right? And then you think, I wonder what the Bible says about that. And then you look it up and you find, oh, don't steal. Oh, well, okay, that's off the list. All right. What, about, what does the Bible say about gossiping? What does the Bible say about slander? What does the Bible say about sex? What does it say about money? Wow, there's such wisdom in here about money. If people follow, when people follow it, you find all sorts of things. You know, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. But the biggest thing the Bible does is show me that God's the hero. You know, there are some good humans in the Bible. You know, there's some godly ones. But even the, God, even the best of the godly ones, ah, they've got flaws, I'm telling you. They're not flawless. They do things and you think, oh my goodness. You know, maybe we should cut them out. Like today, if today people are cancelling things, right? Not just, you know, borders and whatnot. 
is a whole, whole movement called cancel culture. If they got hold of the Bible, oh, so many people in the Bible would be cancelled. But that would actually be a good thing. I'll tell you why. Because it would leave one man standing. One flawless man standing, the man Jesus. You wouldn't be able to cancel Jesus. And that's the beauty of it. Because the, the Bible tells me that God is the hero of this story. You see, remember how it begins? Remember, we just read it. Do you remember how it begins? Yeah. It says what? Yeah, before anything existed, there was God. Right? And takes you all the way. God is the hero. So this is such a glorious, life-giving book. It fills me with life. And we sang a song earlier about worship starts with seeing you. How do... I can't see an invisible God unless he reveals himself to me or to someone else who writes it down. There are things in the Bible, and the big name from is this. Don't fall off the seat when you hear this. Theophanies. There are theophanies in this book. Theo is a Greek word for God. Phanope is the appearing, so God appearing. So in other words, there's a whole lot of God appearances in here. If you want to know what God is like, this book has got the answers for you. This book has got when God appeared to people and how he revealed himself to people. And the biggest question always before us is, what is God like? That is the biggest question. And this is where we come into, now we come into the Garden of Eden. Because the impeccable lie that we had read to us from Genesis 3, 1 to 13 tells us that we are all in danger of impeccable lies in one sense, right? Genesis 3, what does it tell us about the serpent? This guy is sharp. Like, you're talking about someone who's, who's street smart, Right? This is the sharpest. So it doesn't matter which translation you read it in. It says the serpent is the shrewdest of all. He's crafty. He's cunning. He's subtle. He's manipulative. He is the epitome of I know where to press your button. He pressed Eve's right at the point of her vulnerability. And this ought to scare you because it, it scares, not just because it scares me, but it ought to scare you, Right? If you think about Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. Who are they speaking to face to face in the garden? God himself. So this is people who have an intimacy that you and I have not experienced with God. Face to face, walking in the cool of the garden, talking about the garden. And they've got one thing not to do. Just one. How many things have you got not to do? you got more than one, I can tell you, right? they just got one. It's just like, you're thinking, this is a walk in a garden. <laughs> to just not do one thing is like a piece of cake, right? It's easy. So the Adam and Eve seeing God face to face, right? They got one thing not to do and a couple of things to do. And we've been looking at them in our series on priestliness. They are to... Guard and keep the garden. Guard and manage the garden. Or tend and keep. Different translations. But if you think... So, 
What are they meant to have guarded the garden from? Perhaps a crafty lying serpent. Just hypothetically speaking, right? There are things that we all have to guard our hearts from. We've got to guard. They lived in a pristine garden, speaking face to face with God. We live in a dysfunctional world that is saying the world existed without God. That lie, that lie of evolution and a whole lot of stuff flows from that. And so to think that we are not vulnerable to a cunning serpent that's been deceiving people for thousands of years, we would be setting ourselves up as fools. And the thing about this, and church history shows this, that even in revivals, when there's, a, when there's an increased activity of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ, people even who are attending those revival meetings go out and commit heinous sins. None of us are invulnerable to the deceptions and the lies. We need one another. We need the body of Christ. We need the word of God living within us. And one of the things that we find with the conversation, if you like, with the serpent is that it always starts with a question about the character of God in essence. Did God say? And the option is, God, basically the subtext is God's wanting to keep something good from you. Here, have a look at it. And it's the bait on the hook. And it says that she looked and she, she thought about it and she saw that it was something that she desired. It looked good to her eyes. It looks good. You think about bait on a hook to a fish looks good. It's the same strategy that's being used. It looks good and we think about it rather than actually going somewhere straight away to the word of God and rebuking it, which we see Jesus doing in Luke 4. If you're familiar with the temptations that Jesus faced, Jesus did the opposite. Eve entered into, if you like, a dialogue, a conversation with the serpent. The same serpent comes to Jesus, when he's being tempted, he's had 40 days in the wilderness, he comes to him with three questions, three statements, three accusations or three things to him. And each time Jesus has no dialogue with him, he simply says, the scriptures says, the word of God says this. This is why it is so important for us to be nurturing ourselves, feeding ourselves, understanding who God is and what he has told us to do and where the boundary lines are and that we live within the boundary lines. Because one of the things that the serpent was trying to secure Eve to do was to say, you can live outside the boundaries that God has set. You can live outside. It's actually better. It's, you, you'll actually enjoy it more. You'll be quite like God. You'll know good and evil. God put boundaries in place. If you read Genesis 1 and 2, you clearly see that he put boundaries in place. Seas, rivers, mountains, all these things, they have boundaries. Humans have boundaries. They're boundaries. 
And the reason we have boundaries, God in his wisdom has said, here's the boundaries that are for human flourishing. This is the way to have healthy relationships with me and healthy relationships with one another. The serpent is always saying to us, and his goal is two things. It is to disrupt and distort our relationship with God and that will flow automatically into our relationships with people just as it did in the garden. And the serpent wants your, our allegiance to be to him and our worship that should rightfully go to God, to go to him. Now, worship comes, worship is not just singing songs, and that's a whole different issue. Worship is my life. The Bible's, please, no one be under an illusion that worship is simply what happens when we're, up, when we're here on a Sunday or in the prayer room. Worship is your life. Your life is worship. All that we are and do is worship. And so... Adam and Eve, if when you, th- you read the story, we see that they took the bait and they discovered the gruesome consequences of this hook that was hidden in the bait. And instead of running to God, they ran away from God. They hid. They attempted to hide what they'd done wrong. And when that failed, what did they do? They blamed someone else. How often have you done the same thing? How, and I, me too. I'm on that page as well. None of us are exempt. We, we sin. We do what God says not to do. The first things we try to do is hide. If that doesn't work, then we go on the attack and we blame. It was my this, it was that, it was that person, it was this one, just the same as... You know, and if you think about it, where did it start? It started with Adam. Who did Adam blame? He blamed Eve at the same time as blaming God because it was, he said this, he said, the woman you put here with me, right? Who did Eve blame? The serpent, yep. And the old joke, he didn't have a leg to stand on, but we don't know that's true. Anyway, so this is what we need to understand. These impeccable, this impeccable lie right at the beginning of the scriptures here is that attempt to disrupt and distort the relationship with God and with each other and to give our worship or our allegiance, our loyalty, our obedience to a serpent rather than the eternal one who created us. That's the bottom line. So can I have the next slide, please? And the next one. So this is a Bible. It reveals the eternal, unchanging truth about God. Now, I like to read, but I know that sometimes some of you, when you hear that, you kind of creep, everything in you tenses. You hear the word read and you go, right? You think people who read are weird. Um, I am kind of walk down the street and pretty much read everything people's t-shirts the bus stops get in the lift read all the signs in the lift but 
That's just me. Anyway, some of you don't like to read. You can get the Bible read to you today. You can listen to it. You can listen to people singing it. Here's a question for you. What if in 2021, we all, we all spent more time reading, we all spent more time in the Bible in whatever way, shape or form that works for us, either listening to it, um, reading it ourselves, whatever. But what if we all spent more time in the Bible than than we did on any activity outside our work. Because for most people, you're working, you know, seven and a half hours a day and you need to sleep another eight or so, hopefully, and then you've got to eat and all this kind of thing. But what if we all spent more time in the Bible this, this year than anywhere else? Than playing video games? just anything else what if we did that don't you think it would make a huge difference to you to your relationships I think it would I'm absolutely confident it would Um, I think the key thing is to make a plan it's the next slide thanks you know Make a, make a daily Bible plan. And the, the, this is simple. It's not hard. You pick a time, you pick a place, and you show up with your Bible. You say, okay, school holidays. So I'm looking at all the people on school holidays. So it's like school holidays, you want to sleep in a little bit. So it's like, okay, 8.30. My alarm goes off. Nine o'clock. I get get out of bed. And I open my Bible. And you just do that. Yeah? Anyway, you pick a time, you pick a place. And what are you doing here? It's really important that you you focus on these things. Why are you doing this? Because you want to know and obey God. It all, it's got to start and end with God. It, you don't make it about knowing the library. This is a library of 66 books. It was developed over th- on three continents over a period of 1,500 years. It has a consistent message. It's written by a whole range of authors. So, but the goal with all of it is to know and obey God. It, and it's to have pure and undistracted devotion to Jesus. And this will help us to conquer impeccable lies that our culture tells us with eternal truth. I want to close with some scripture and read to you some passages. So, uh, Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 11, 2-4, Paul said this, And I can tell you that Julie and I carry this same sentiment in our hearts for New Life Church. I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. 
but I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach or a different kind of spirit than the one you received or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. Jesus, when he was speaking, John records it, John chapter 8, 42 to 47. And Jesus is speaking and he's actually rebuking some people. And Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I've come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Isaiah says, chapter 5, verses 20 and 22. God cries out through his prophet Isaiah, What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. What sorrow for those who are wise in their own eyes and think themselves so clever. What sorrow for those who are heroes at drinking wine and boast about all the alcohol they can hold. Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, and Timothy was pastoring the church at Ephesus, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17, Paul says this to Timothy, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us what's realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Here's my encouragement and my challenge to you as we wrap up today is I come back to that question. What if we all spent more time with the Bible, which is with God, but immersing ourselves in understanding the scriptures? I believe we would, many of us would be delivered from a lot of lies that we believe about ourselves, the lies we believe about God, and the lies we believe about other people. We'd see things differently. Now, some of you are already on this page, but there's a whole bunch of us that we, we have to get on this page because one of the things that Jesus warned us about as the day of his return approaches, deception will increase across the earth, which means lies will increase, impeccable lies will increase across the earth and even deceive some people who say they are Christians. I don't want that for anyone in this congregation. But I'm not with you 24-7. But God's word is available to you 24-7.
and I implore you in 2021, make this priority. Knowing him, obeying him in a whole new way. Will you pray with me? We need to see him. God, we need to see you. We've sung that song. We're going to sing it again. Here we come. Father, I ask that you breathe your breath on this word, that it will become a living word in all of our hearts. I ask for the light of your glory to shine on us in a way that exposes those darkness, the lies that we have believed. God, I'm, I'm asking for light to come. I'm asking that in your mercy, God, you will, you will, you will let the light shine and even in your mercy, you will do what you've done in times past. You will expose our sin to ourselves. And, if, and as needed, you'll expose it to others around about us. In your zealous love, that we would walk in the light as you were in the light. And have true fellowship with one another. Father, this church has not yet become all that you laid hold of us to become. We are not yet walking in the fullness of Christ. We're not yet made mature and complete in Christ. Father, I ask that you would come to us in 2021 in a way that leads us to, to put our roots deeper into you, that matures us, that Christ would be more formed in us in this year. God, I don't think anyone sitting here or listening or watching wants to be like Eve and deceived in what Paul said about led away from pure and undistracted devotion to Christ. But we live in a distracted world. Our eyes flick to and fro. So help us, Lord, to lasso. Help us to take our minds captive, to take our eyes captive and to gaze on you, to feed on the knowledge of who you are. Lord, that we'd, we'd discover the wonder of the theophanies in Scripture. To see you in that way so I come back and I, come, I think I started here Lord but I end here say Lord you give to us that spirit of wisdom and revelation would you open the eyes of our heart and fill the eyes of our heart with light to see you as you are to behold you to gaze on you and to worship you this I pray for your honour and glory Amen